Today I want to talk to us about the theme of this day. This day is the day that's celebrated in terms of Jesus coming into the city. And it's called Palm Sunday. And the subject today is called Real Peace because of a statement that Jesus makes here in the middle of all of this stuff that's happening. And we're going to go through those things. And, um, but real peace is something that's so different from the world's peace. How many remember um, John Lennon's Imagine? Remember, imagine there's no heaven or whatever it is or no God or whatever, you know. And all the people rolling on their I'm a dreamer. You know, I don't know all the words, but it's a pathetic, terrible song. It's totally what he imagines peace would be. But it's a world removed from the idea of God or his interjection into our lives. There's the American dream people have that they'll just have peace. You know, the two and a half children and white picket fence. Porn offers a certain segment of peace, sex, and its gratifications offer some counterfeit of peace. Sinatra understood he thought that peace was his way. I did it my... I mean, every time you go to Olive Garden, right? That's what you hear. And the moon, shooting the moon song. I don't know what... I forgot what that is. Some Italian people, I don't know, they write those songs and you never really know what they mean. Like a big pizza pie, I will spit in your eye. I don't know what all the words are, but anyway. <laughs> but the new God today for peace is comfort. It's the new God in the church. People are striving for comfort. We want everything connected. We want our easy chair and remote control. We want a life of ease. We don't want any interruption in that. But the, the real meaning of Palm Sunday comes from one of lies. It comes from one of deceit. It comes from a betrayal. But most importantly, it is a message of peace. If we can get anything from the emphasis of today and what it represents and what it means, it is that very idea of peace. It reveals that relationship in Christ is the only peace. And just the day before Jesus rides into the city like this, the chief priests had made a plan to kill him and to kill Lazarus as well. Um, they were going to do it. So in John chapter 12, if you have your Bibles, we're going to pick up the account and the reading here. But in John chapter 12 and verse 9, it says, Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews uh, found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests had made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For an ongoing account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. Well, no, duh, right? A guy comes back from the grave, it's like, well, that's going to be something. I think that I might want to follow this guy. There might be something he has to say. So they plotted to kill Jesus even before he comes to the city. And this is pretty amazing to see how that the strategy and voice really of these satanically inspired individuals and these leaders can turn the crowd. But they're not only part of the fulfillment of all that was happening to Jesus, they are the reason that Jesus died. He died for us. I don't know what's going on with the lights, but I feel like I'm in a show. I just like, ah, look at Larry. Hello, my baby. Hello, my darling. Hello, my ragtime gal. I don't know what's happening. We, just, we had a problem before church with him, so I have to keep flickering on off. Just imagine you're seeing a vision over me. I don't know. I'm glowing, sorts. But it's pretty amazing to see how the crowd could be turned so quickly because we know as we're going to see on Friday and 
that they're cheering him in this moment, Hosanna, and then the very next, they are ready to crucify him. It's not that much different than we saw with the loaves and fishes, right? They, they were following him because of the food and the miracles that they had seen. And, and then when he says, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood, they leave. There's nobody around. As all this plotting is going on to kill Jesus, um, as he makes his way to the city, he has this, this famous conversation with a very vertically challenged fellow named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, as you know, the song, if you were raised in kids' church at all, was a wee little man, or Sunday school, and a wee little man was he. I mean, I don't know, I feel like singing songs this morning. But he, he, he invites Jesus to his house, and he, he tells him that Jesus says, I'm going to your house, and he tells him a story. He says a rich man went on a journey and left three men with some wealth, some money. And when the boss came back, the first thing the boss does was he goes to the guy, the first guy, and he said, hey, how'd it go? The guy says, well, I doubled your money. And so the boss says, wow, that's really cool. You've been trustworthy, and this little job, I'm going to make you governor of ten towns. And the next guy, he goes and said, hey, how did you do? I said, I, I earned 50% on your money, man. The boss said, I'm, I'm putting you in large of five large crowds. The third guy said, you know, I was afraid. I didn't have high standards, and I, I know that you hate low standards, and um, you hate sloppiness, so I hid your money in the cellar. And so here it is, basically, right where you left it. I buried it in the ground. I put it away. The boss tells him what? You acted foolishly. Why didn't you invest some money or at least get some interest on it? And the boss says, take the one that earned more, 10, and give him what this guy had. Take it from him. And then basically, Jesus says to all of us through this parable and through the message that he's teaching his disciples, risk your life and get more than you ever dreamed of. Play it safe and you'll just end up holding the bag. But Jesus leads by example, by investing everything. He knows the risks. He's going into Jerusalem, and he's going to be killed, and he moves forward anyway. He knows what it is. He starts w walking with the disciples toward the city with the crowd, right? You know the account in history. So when they, when they get to the Bethany, the foot of Mount Olives, he stops and he sends two disciples ahead um, for, to get a donkey for him to ride into the city. And uh, Luke chapter 19 is where we'll pick up this portion of the reading. In Luke chapter 19, verse 37, it says, When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Note that. In verse 38, blessed is a king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. John and Matthew also give an account of what happens here. But Hosanna is a, is a word of Hebrew origin that means, oh, save or save us. And, and they were saying, save us, Hosanna, our savior. But they weren't really looking for a savior. They were looking for a leader. Now, don't get me wrong, when we follow Christ, we want him to be the leader. But they were looking for a physical leader. In their mind, Jesus was coming to establish an earthly kingdom and to lead a rebellion. The zealots uh, believed by force, if necessary. And the zealots came about in a very powerful way. I mean, they, the prophecies concerning the coming of Jesus was huge. And 
And if you've ever read in the Maccabees, you, you understand and the, the, and the other accounts of history reveal this powerful thing that what had happened is Matthias, it was a godly man and, and he had these four sons and this, um, the, the, the Roman, um, the Alexander the Great's, uh, the Romans had come and, and had seized the city and, and they were going to f- f- sacrifice a pig in the temple. And they took the high priest Matthias and they were going to force him to do it. And he goes to raise the knife. And as he does, he kills the soldiers. And everybody jumps in. Of course, they kill him and they know what's coming. Rome is coming. And so they flee the city. And so for a, a period of a few short years, Matthias and his sons gang up with these little terrorist bands. And they wait beside the roads. And they, they attack little Roman uh, soldier you know, uh, troops that come in occasionally and, and they're raising havoc. They, cre- they create these terrorist groups. And this is during the time, this, right after Alexander the Great's rise and fall, and I get into all that. He, Alexander the Great was prophesied about in Daniel and it all came to place. But th- afterward, and so Matthias had, had believed that, of course, it was by force. Ultimately, as some historical accounts give to us and through some writings, this very interesting story they even come in with some war elephants and, and him and all of his sons are killed in the effort because the kingdom of God was not to be taken by force. And so here they are, out of that striving and fighting and these little attacks come these, this idea of the zealots. And it's because they're very zealous. They want to establish, you know, Jewish law, Jewish rain, you know, the Messiah type of stuff, and they want to do it by force. So during this 400 silent years between the Old and New Testament, so much history is going on, the rise and fall of Alexander the Great, the division of his kingdoms, the wannabe guy that comes in his uh, place at the Antiochus Epiphanes, you know, he was quite a guy. He was just a Alexander the Great knockoff is pretty much what he was. And he, he gave himself a, may, a name that means God manifest. I mean, if that's not arrogant, I don't know what is. So he gives himself this name, and, and, and the rise of the Maccabees, the point of all of this is, is that the zealots got their drive from this period of time, and they really believed this was going to be established, and there was a, a sect of them that was very secretive, and their power came from their desire to see the Messiah set up an earthly kingdom rule. So when the news came, Messiah Jesus, right, was of Nazareth was coming to town, this miracle-doing popular person, the Christ will, in their minds, reestablish Jewish rule and bring back peace. So this is what it's like right then. This is what it feels like in those moments right now. This is what the, the, the stir in the city is all about as Jesus comes in. The Maccabean rebellion is heralded by these great men, these zealots. And this, this, they, they want this Jesus to lead them. They're looking to establish him and to overthrow the Roman rule. And they were looking for Jesus to be their new ruler, but not for eternity. They were looking, they wanted a savior, but not of their soul. They wanted an ambassador to lead them rather than give them real peace. The perception of Jesus exists even to this day. The same mindset in our culture and in our churches. Maybe you're looking for a ruler but not of your spirit, a savior, but not of the habits of your soul, a president to establish a moral code, but not to call you to holiness, someone to be elected, 
Jesus is my ambassador, but maybe not for peace. God wants us to know him personally, but mo- most of all, um, sometimes we don't want to know him personally. We just want to know direction for our lives from him. Should I move here? Should I get this job? Should I marry this person? This is the kind of thing that's still going on today that Jesus is saying, I want to be Lord, I want to be God of your life, but really, you're just my go-to person. You're my sugar daddy. I, I want you, Jesus, just to tell me, should I do this or should I do that, rather than just living for you and knowing you personally and intimately. Maybe we want information from the Lord, and we want answers more than we want a relationship with Him, and yet the Lord requires this above all things, that we know Him. We demand direction from God maybe more than we do intimacy with Him. Now, there's a lot of other saviors, you know. Entertainment offers a lot of peace. We can sit in front of our TVs and and let the power of Netflix kind of just wash over us. Science fiction offers, you know, a certain amount of fantasy and and all of these things. Hallmark offers a lot of fantasy. I mean, Hallmark, there's nothing Hallmark, nothing sci-fi has on Hallmark, right? I mean, this is just... The happily ever ender ever just stops. It's like, I fall in love. The, you know, there's a disaster in the town. The big chain store is coming in, right? And the little mom-pop shop has got to stay open. And the guy that's running the big shop falls in love with the little girl. And they decide they're going to live. And they get married in the end, and that's it. They never tell you about having kids and arguing over who's picking them up or, you know, who's wiping their bottom this time. Could it be maybe that our expectations from God might require our desire for God. And don't we see this in what they're doing right then? This is exactly how they're feeling. This is exactly what's going on. And could it be, I think, that many times maybe we come to Christ to be saved from hell rather than being saved to him and from our sin. I mean, being saved from our sin is like the biggest awesomest thing in the world, right? Can I use awesomest? I just did. doesn't matter. It's like, that is the thing. Like, God has saved us. He has set us apart for himself. He is good. Being saved from hell is just a byproduct. Come on now. That's good preaching. Amen, Pastor. Scripture says they were singing for all the miracles they had seen. This Maccabean heroes that they had was still in their minds. And they, they, he rides into the city just five days before Jesus is to celebrate the Passover um, in Jerusalem with the disciples. So... It's a pretty cool picture here, though, Jesus being honored. And I like the word Hosanna. I do. Lord Jesus, oh, save me. Don't you ever feel like that sometimes? Hosanna! Or Hosanna in the highest, you know, Savior. That's good. They're shouting Hosanna, but in a short while, they're going to be shouting crucify. How can they say Hosanna in one minute and then shout crucify in the next? Because... It is possible for someone to accept wisdom and then turn around and be mesmerized by sin. Absolutely. There are some problems with him coming into the city. So, first of all, they were worshiping, praising, and the Pharisees didn't like it. So, Luke 19, verse 39 says, Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Whoa! Now, Jesus makes a powerful statement here. If, if they're quiet, the rocks are going to cry out. In other words, the dirt of this earth understands how blessed it is to have the, the feet of the king resting on it. Every molecule, every atom, everything that's made up knows who this is. And have you ever tried to ride a young colt? 
Here's another miracle, right? I mean, Jesus gets right on this young donkey. I mean, I, I have tried this. It is, I lived in Montana, and, and there was a rodeo grounds. We lived right across the street from, and we go over there and horse, goof around, horse around, ha-ha. We tried our hand at cow tipping. Yes, we did, and it does work. It is real. I will attest to it. Um, we used to, you know, one pump on the BB guns. We used to have these high-powered BB guns, and we could pump them up to like 50 times. They were more powerful and accurate than a 22. I mean, they were quite, they don't sell them anymore. But we'd put a, a BB was always more accurate than a pellet. I don't know why. But we were always, I can't say this stuff, we were always shooting gophers in the field. And the, the rancher liked it because his cows would step in the holes and break their legs. We were out there shooting gophers. We'd have fun. We'd pile up 12 gophers a day after school. I mean, 7th and 8th grade were some of the glory years for me. <laughs> but we'd do one pump on the gun and shoot the cows in the dark. You know, you know it just stings a cow. It just really hurt it. I'm going to be, somebody's going to send me an email tell me that that was terrible. Um, but have you ever tried to ride one? Anybody, anybody been to a rodeo? How many have, anybody ever participate in one? Oh, now that's exciting. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. We had these two, there was these two horses, a girl in the church, her family had uh, ginger and whiskey. And whiskey was an old grumpy horse with one eye that you couldn't see out of, you know. Anyway, we'd go out to the pasture after school to get them, and it took forever to harangue Whiskey because he never wanted to go. But we'd get Ginger. She was a young mare. Man, she, that was a fast horse. And we'd saddle him up, and we'd ride him around all over the place and just have a good time. But when Whiskey knew which direction we were going, if it was headed toward home, he knew he'd go faster. He knew. Have you ever ridden those horses at Ocean Shores and ridden them? As soon as you turn around, they know they're coming back. They walk faster. They just know. But this is a young colt, and it's untamed, apparently so, and here's Jesus riding it. So here, the worship that Jesus is talking about, the very ground of the earth, will cry out. And to worship God is why we were created. Jesus told the Pharisees, hey, this is why they were created. If they keep quiet, if people keep quiet from worshiping me, the very rocks will cry out. I think many people go through life wondering what their purpose is, and it all begins with worship. It all begins with lifting up the one and only Creator. That is our purpose here at Abundant Life Church. We lift up Jesus and Jesus alone. No personality, no person, no concepts. This is not a biblical counseling session like many churches like to do. I, I praise God for that kind of wisdom, and it's good. We use biblical counsel. We should, but to simply lift up Jesus, to exalt the name of Jesus, to worship Jesus, to love Him with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Your very being is an echo of, of, of how God is good and how precious and powerful His ways are. Why do we worship? We worship because He's Savior, because He's King. Jesus saves. Hosanna. He saves us from, you and I, from the twisted ideas of this world. He, he shakes heaven and earth to come and to be with us and die on a cross. That's worth worshiping. That's a God that is not just somebody you're trying to get up to, but came to you. Came to me. He is Savior. Hosanna. It's our privilege and our joy to give Him worship and praise. God is not interested in our eloquence. He's not inter interested in our skill. He's, he's, he's interested in one thing alone, a surrendered, yielded life 
that he could work through and speak through. That's the purpose of having him. And that's the purpose that he works through to give such peace. Jesus uh, saves us to give us peace. Let's go back to the history in Luke chapter 19, verse 41. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known this day what, you, what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. What would bring you peace, he said? Jerusalem. People are looking for peace. And they had all of these peace substitutes. They're looking for a, a, a weight to be lifted off of their uh, oppressed state under the Roman rule. And in here we find ourselves in the same way, seeking for peace. I can't think that there's one greater thing in the world that people want than peace. You know, that's every Miss America contestant's desire, world peace, right? Miss Universe or whatever it is. I don't know what, I've never seen it, so I, I just did little tidbits. It's a joke. If you don't know, you can laugh now. So it's world peace. I thought I'd, if you didn't know the details, try that. There's lots of peace substitutes. Not unlike they had. They, they had their teachers and philosophers of their day, but the, the meditation, yoga, drugs, staying busy so we don't have to consider our miserable condition. Politicians promise peace, don't they? We're hearing it today. It's, it's fight over this, and this president's been indicted for that, and, and they're trying to get each other and kill each other because they, they think that their way is the best way, and they, there's really a lot of wicked schemes. I tell you, it's growing in our world. The wickedness in, in the political world and the ideologies and the philosophies that are so wicked and sinful. It is true that Christians will be persecuted. We already are. All you have to do is turn on the TV for five or ten seconds and you realize it. That there, there's an attack on the things that we love as believers. Uh, the Lord that we love. The holiness that he, he wants us to have that we love. The, the goodness that, that He wants us to have and love. All of those things are constantly under attack. And, and the world loves all of that stuff. It's all out there. It's all around us. And they're looking. They keep doing it because they think that's what's going to give them peace. All the peace substitutes. Religion offers peace, right? People try to find peace in all sort of things. They think if I could just, you know, get married or if I could, if I had more sex relationships, if I'd have peace or uh, I could just, if I could just own this or that or move this or this place, I would have peace. If, if I were more beautiful or if I were really handsome like Pastor Larry if I, were, had, if I had more wealth, if I, if I took a couple of drinks, I would feel better. I'd have peace. But none of those things guarantee it, right? They just don't, they just don't guarantee it. And, and all of these things are fleeting. They, they always change. They're never constant. And there's nothing solid or eternal about any of them. So the result is a consternation of confusion, a, a lot of a wondering. And we have a lot of our children, we are, we were do, we're going to all these places looking for some satisfaction just to have an enjoyment or find some peace in there. There's nothing there. Jesus addressed this by saying that if you only knew what would bring you peace. What a What a line. If you only knew, I tell you what, friends, if we only knew, I got to believe that that place of worship that he said that the rocks would cry out, that place of worship that he wants every person to be in, that place of intimacy with God, if we would realize those places more often than we do our Netflix and stuff, I think we'd have a lot more peace. 
There's a place where God wants to dwell with you and live with you and walk with you and commune with you, not just occasionally, not just on Sundays. In Greek, the word peace means to bind together. So Jesus binds us to himself, bringing us into oneness with the Father. You and I are in agreement with him, and, and where there is agreement, there's unity. And in unity, there's peace. If there's a home where the, both spouses are not in unity, there is not peace. If someone left the cheese out and it got hard, there's going to be a problem. Some of the silliest things we let get in the way of peace. But when we're in agreement with God, and when there is unity, there is peace. If every nation in the world agreed, there would be peace. So the key to peace is agreement. It's unity. It's being in one with the Lord. And here I am, you know, here's Jesus saying, here I am, I'm the one, look to me. This was God's chosen people, and, and they were the ones who were led into the promised land. They rejected him time and time again. And so there's a tremendous dichotomy, the heart of the city and the heart of God. There's Jerusalem, and then there's Jesus, the heart of God longing to love and to heal, and the heart of a city bent on hate to destroy selfishness. Friends, when we're living life without Jesus and his grace, Living in our sin, we can't experience his peace. He sees our heart and our motivation. I want to make a statement that I made a few years ago that I think is so captures this so well. It goes like this. Peace with God is the fruit of oneness with God. I want to say it again. Peace with God is the fruit of oneness with God or unity in him. John 14, 1, Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God also in me. And then in verse 27, he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives, I give to do, I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither be afraid. Peace dispels fear. Peace brings calmness. Peace brings contentment. Peace brings satisfaction. And it comes by being in unity or in oneness with the Lord. God's peace is not like any other peace. John 16, says, I have told you these things so that you will have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, he says, with great emphaticness. Look it up in the Greek. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Can you see Jesus saying that with such, like, take heart. In this world, you're going to have trouble, man. Friends, hear that today. If you don't hear anything else, in this world, you're going to have trouble. But take heart. <laughs> I have peace. Can you have peace during difficult trying times when your circumstances seem unmanageable entirely? And you don't have any idea what's going to happen. Yes, you can. You can experience a tranquility with God that is profound and reassuring like none other. That, that's based on my security in Him, not in my circumstances. Or when the circumstances are fluid and changing, the security is in the Lord. The only one who can truly give an unshakable peace is God. God plans for every believer to live in meaningful, enduring peace. He really does. Not like, you know, 
don't worry, be happy. That comes and goes with a birthday party. I'm happy at a birthday party because I'm eating chocolate cake, but the birthday party will end. I'm happy when I'm on my motorcycle, but at some point I've got to fill up with gas. I've got to keep going, though. I'm putting gas. I just wish premium didn't cost so much money. There's times where we can do things that are fun, that give a certain satisfaction, but peace continually is what the Lord offers. And he brings it to the life that says, yes, Jesus, I believe in you. Friends, Jesus is your peace, hopefully. But he is your peace no matter what comes your way if you're following him. Regardless of your circumstances, there's tranquility, there's a serenity, there's a calmness that can anchor your soul. And so many times believers don't take advantage of that because in the moments, and just like that, we turn from trusting in God into what our flesh is wanting to reveal. The winds of adversity will come and blow and they'll come every direction. The Lord stabilizes us by his awesome promises. In Isaiah 26.3, he says, the steadfast of the steadfast of mind, you, Lord, will keep in perfect peace because that person trusts in you. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee, I think the King James says. God's peace is more than simple interruptions to chaos. Hear this, friends. God's peace is more than just a simple interruption to chaos. Chaos is all around Chaos is the way of the world. Satan himself, Jesus says, he is the author of confusion. He's the author of confusion. And, and, and chaos is his specialty. You ever seen that guy in the commercial? What's his name? Havoc? Uh, ma- mayhem? What is it? It's a Geico or Progressive. I don't know what it is. All state. State farm, farmers. I keep naming them. They keep coming. He's mayhem, and he always has trouble. I can't sit down, I gotta stand up. He's causing chaos. The world is filled with chaos. Peace is not the absence of chaos. It's the security of the believer in the middle of it. You will have chaos. You will have chaos in your job. You're going to have chaos in your family. You're going to have chaos in your relationships. You're going to have chaos in life. Many believe that Peace comes in moments, and they're few and far between, right? You know the ones. You're probably related to them. They're just waiting to, the, 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 the peace moment is just them waiting to reload, right? Maybe you live in an environment like that. But God's peace is lasting in the middle of the storm. It's, it's the peace that we can have despite our circumstances, despite all the chaos, because there's chaos. There are the philosophies of this world pulling every which way. Everybody in your work environment believes something else besides the thing that God loves in his word. And, and, and it's just chaos. It's chaos all around. People are looking for contentment, and, and they're wanting to spill over into your life. And friends, don't follow the, don't follow the bait. Don't get caught up in the chaos. Don't let it mire you down or, or pull you down with some tweet or some, for some post. Don't, don't let it cause you anxiety because I tell you what, your peace is not in your circumstances. And not how difficult your, your mom is making your life or your brother or your, your kids or no, none of that. Your job, your employer, 
God's peace is there when you endure those things, when you're going through those things. God's peace is there when you suffer. God's peace is that calm of mind that's not ruffled by adversity. It's not overclouded by a remorseful conscience or disturbed by fear. It is a peace beyond that. I'm sure you know the story of Horatio Spafford. If you don't, I'm about to read it for you or tell you it. Horatio Spafford was a businessman in Chicago. At two years old, his little boy died of scarlet fever. And two years later, in 1873, Spafford decided that he and his family would take a trip somewhere in Europe and chose England, knowing that his friend D.L. Moody, if you know who D.L. Moody is, what a fireball preacher, would be preaching there in the fall. He was delayed because of business, so he sent his family ahead. He sent his wife and four girls. Annie, nine-year-old Margaret Lee. So Anna, or Annie, was 11. Margaret Lee, Maggie, was um, nine. Um, Bessie, Elizabeth, was five. And two-year-old, Tanetta. And so... On November 22nd, he said his family had, he was going to meet them later, he had business to attend to. While crossing the Atlantic on a steamship called the Ville de Havre, their ship was hit by an iron sailing vessel. So 226 people died, including all four of Stafford's daughters, all four of his little girls. Could you imagine? His wife, Anna, survived the tragedy. And on arriving to England, she sent a telegram to Spafford. And it said this, quote, Saved alone, all daughters have been lost in the storm at sea. Only I have been saved. He took the very next vessel. As they came near the place where his daughters drowned, he had asked the captain to ring his cabin. Captain rang his cabin and Spafford came up on deck and that night there was no storm or no other ship. They could see clearly. He was there on the deck. He went back to his room as he looked off across that beautiful moonlit night and he wrote these words. When peace like a river attends my way sorrows like sea billows roll whatever my lot you have taught me to say it is well with my soul you see peace to the human condition means a lot after every war America builds peace monuments you and I are in a war a fight for our soul the war of and along comes the Savior of peace. We are saved to experience his peace. We are saved for peace. Galatians 5, Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is peace. And the Holy Spirit's work is peace. And friend, that's my compelling note to you today. That no matter the chaos you might be going through, no matter what the world says, 
that you and your family would experience the peace of God by making Jesus the priority, by exalting him, by lifting him up and worshiping him.